Tomorrow is a day to remember, Memorial Day. It's a long weekend. It's the kickoff of summer, a day for picnics, for barbecues, for parades, for family get-togethers, ball games, a day to spend at the lake, and a day to enjoy the freedoms that we have. These are all good things. These are great things, but it's not what Memorial Day is about. Has our freedom become so commonplace that we forget the cost at which we're free? Memorial Day is set aside to remember those who purchased our freedom with their lives, to remember those who have given their lives in service to our country. Our barbecues, our picnics, our family get-togethers, our long weekends, they all come at a price, a price that no one here this morning has paid. It's easy to forget about a price that we didn't end up paying. Freedom isn't free. Tomorrow is a good day. A day when we remember those who have gone on before us in order that we could live free lives. So let's remember it. Let's remember them. Let's celebrate. And let us not forget the price at which it came. Let's remember those who have given their lives for our country and for our freedom. Because we live in freedom because of their sacrifice. Tomorrow is a day to remember. This morning I'd like, I'd like to talk about a few more days to remember. Another day that has brought us freedom and a day that's easy to forget. It's a day with ongoing significance, even for us here today. A significance that is often overlooked and drowned out in the mundane moments of our lives. Open your Bibles with me as we look at this day and its significance for us in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. And I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3 and reading through verse 7. Reading in Jesus' name. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts to receive the message you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's easy to forget about the past, especially when it's been so long ago. Sometimes we look at it with a hint of nostalgia. We look back to the good old days. It's important for us to remember the old days. It's important to know where we came from, where we come from. In this letter here, Paul is writing to Titus, and he's giving him some pastoral advice. He reminds Titus how Christians are to act. In verses 1 and 2, we read that. These are the instructions Paul gives Titus to give his congregation. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Christians are to be subject to their rulers and show consideration to all people, to all people. And you and I can argue and say, yeah, but what about the bad people? 
What about the bad government? What about the bad employer? What about all of these other different things? And you can fill in the blank and add whatever words you want to use in there. What about them? Do we have to show consideration for them too? And Paul gives them a dose of reality. He tells Titus, he reminds Titus something that's easy to forget and something that you and I would each love to forget about. He tells them exactly what they were in the old days. Verse 3, Paul says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice the pronoun that Paul uses here. What is it that he uses? We. He's talking to Titus. Titus is the pastor of a congregation here. And Paul is saying, Titus, this is what you were. Verse 3. And Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, this is what every member of your congregation was. In verse 3. And Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, this is what I was. The pronoun he uses is we. Even Paul, or should I say Saul, identifies himself as this in verse 3. Saul was a good person. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a keeper of the law, one who was above the reproach of man. He was a really religious guy. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone else more religious than Saul. And yet how does he describe himself here in verse 3? This is what I am was foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to lusts and pleasures, spending this life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul says, this is what I was. Doesn't sound like the kind of person you want to spend time with. Doesn't sound like the kind of person you want your kids to be around either. He says that he was depraved. And a long story short, he said, I was a poor, miserable sinner. And we see this behavior in the world around us. And in the church, we have a tendency to use pronouns to disassociate ourselves from them, those that aren't like us, maybe those that don't dress like us, or whatever option you want to come up with. We'll use language to distance ourselves from them. We're gathered this morning. They aren't. We're Christians. They're lost. We're saved. They're pagans. We're righteous. They're wicked. And there is a bit of truth to these statements. But as we look at these statements, it gives the impression that there is something inherently different in each one of us, something that we have done to separate ourselves from them. And when we play that to its logical conclusion, it justifies the distance that we put between us and them. But what does Paul say here in verse 3? Does Paul allow us to distance ourselves from the them? He says we all were poor, miserable sinners. There's one word in this verse that spares us from utter hopelessness. Were. Paul doesn't write that we are, but he says we were. Past tense. This is us. This is who we were in the old days. This is before the change happened. We were just as lost. We were just as deceived as the world is today. That we too were enemies of God and children of wrath. We were, but are no longer. Something has changed. Something happened. 
And Paul gets to that change in the next couple of verses. But before getting there, don't skip over the application of this verse. When we realize that we are just as lost, just as hopeless, just as hellbound as the world is around us, how does that affect the way that we view them? How does that affect the way that we view the lost? When we realize that there but for the grace of God go I, are we still so quick to judge? Are we still quick to think that they don't deserve God's grace? That they don't deserve my time? That they don't deserve God's word? Do we still have the tendency to think that we're so different? Paul says we were no different before, but something happened. We don't get to say we were because we changed or we earned it. Verse 5 is clear on that. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. If you look at verse 3, there is no righteousness found in that verse. No, it wasn't by us. These are the old days and the old ways only because of God's grace. And yet we still feel ourselves being pulled in this direction over and over each and every day in our own lives. These habits want to come up again and again. And so it's important for us to remember that these days are the old days. And it's important for us to remember another day, the day of salvation. In verse 4, Paul identifies what changed. He says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. What happened? The kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. What happened? To summarize it, God showed up and he saved us. And not on the basis of our deeds, but merely on the basis of his love and his kindness. His love and his kindness isn't an abstract emotion. It's not warm fuzzies that we feel. It's not God sending good vibes towards us that help us to do what he wants us to do. It's more than that. The kindness and love of God, our Savior, defined in Scripture is God himself in the flesh, his one and only Son, Jesus. And Jesus showed up to seek and to save the lost. Numerous passages point this out. One that I'm sure we're all aware of. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this passage from Romans, but God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And from 1 John, by this the love of God was manifested to us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for your sins. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. The kindness and love of God our Father towards us is seen in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. It's a fact that's happened, historical fact that's completed in time, and it's far from abstract. And it's a fact that still has significance for you this morning. God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And I know we hear this over and over again, but it's still significant. This day of salvation, this whole Jesus event, his conception, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all wrapped up as a day to remember. A day we continually need to remember what he did and what that means for us. 
Because on that day, our freedom was purchased. Freedom from sin, from death, and from the devil. Christ paid that price that we could never pay. He kept the law that we could never keep. He obeyed when we could never obey. And he died to save us. And he rose again to give us life. So now there's another way to live. A way to live separate from the old way that's given in verse 3. No longer as slaves to lusts and pleasures, but instead as slaves to righteousness. His death and resurrection isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. No, his death and his resurrection brings us life, brings us a new way to live, delivers us from these bondages that we see in verse 3. And he calls us to live this new life. And when we see these tendencies of verse 3 coming up in our lives again and again and again, and we see this desire of our hearts to go back to the old days, to go back living for self, to chase after pleasures, to follow the lusts of your heart again and again. Remember that Jesus' death still stands completed for you. And he offers us forgiveness again and again and again. The price has been paid. The day of salvation has come. And this is truly a day for us to remember each and every day of our lives. This day of salvation, this finished work of Jesus brings us freedom and it brought us freedom. Humbly remembering the old days of our lives before Christ and recognizing it's nothing inside of me. I don't deserve this gift of grace that he has given me. And gratefully remembering the work that Christ did to save us from that hell-bound way of life. It's a day to remember. There's still another day I want to focus on and look at here this morning. Another day that has significance for us each and every day of our lives, even though at times we view it as just an event. To some, it may be a distant memory, and to others, you may not have even remembered this day, the day that he saved me. Not only do we see that we're saved by grace and not by works, as it says in verse 5, but Paul also shows us how this salvation is applied to us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The washing that regenerates, the washing that brings new life, the washing that creates faith, the washing that renews, that continues to develop, to grow, and to progress. Both of these things are done, as Paul identifies here, by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so the question comes, when does the Holy Spirit come to each one of us? We don't see flames of tongues on top of our heads anymore. The Spirit comes to us through baptism. And this is what Paul is referring to here in Titus verse 3. When the Holy Spirit comes to you in baptism. Luther uses this passage in his small catechism to answer the question, how can water do such great things? In reference to baptism, he says, it's not the water indeed that does such great things, but it's the word of God connected with the water and our faith which relies on that word of God. For without the word of God, it's simply water and no baptism. But when connected with the word of God, it is a baptism. That is a gracious water of life, a washing of regeneration in the Holy Spirit 
As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. In baptism, the Holy Spirit comes and creates that work of faith inside of us. But he is also renewing us each and every day, bringing us back to repentance and faith, to conviction of sin, and convincing us again of what Jesus has done to save us. God saves in baptism. And some say, baptism doesn't save, Jesus saves. And that's a good distinction to make. But as you see here, as Paul writes in Titus 3, baptism is not divorced from the work of Christ. What does Paul say? He says, through the working of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out richly through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ does save, and he saves through baptism, through the working of the Holy Spirit. Paul notes each person of the Godhead here. Here he acknowledges the Holy Trinity. And this morning as we confess the Athanasian Creed, we confess what we believe about the triune God. Three persons in one Godhead. Not three different parts. Three in one. And this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. Because as you look at this verse, you see each person in the Godhead is active in our salvation. If it weren't for the love and kindness of God our Father, there would be no Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus the Son, there would be no life, death, and resurrection. There would be no forgiveness of sin. And if there is no Holy Spirit, there is no salvation for you. This is why we must believe and confess in the triune God. Because only the triune God saves. When we remember our baptism, we remember the work of the triune God to save us. Even while we were yet sinners. Even when we had no good deeds tied to our names, God still reached down and saved us. We remember the kindness and love of God the Father that he has for us in sending his Son. We remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we were baptized into his death and raised to newness of life as Christ was raised to newness of life. And this regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We also remember the freedom that God brings to us through this as well. Forgiveness of sin, deliverance from death and the devil. Do we remember that this is still significant for us today? That it's still important for us to be free from sin, to be delivered from the devil, to be made new again. Baptism isn't an event that just happened in the past and something that's one and done. It's a covenant that we continue to live in each and every day when the Holy Spirit comes into us and continues daily to renew us again in repentance and faith. But what does this look like? What does it look like to live in this covenant which God gives to you in baptism? Luther writes this, that the old Adam in us, together with all its sins and evil lusts, should be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and be put to death, and that the new man should daily come forth and rise to live before God in righteousness and holiness forever that we continue to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the verse threes in our own lives that continue to come again and again and acknowledge that it's only by the Spirit working in our lives that we can do this thing. That it's only the Spirit working in our lives that renews us and makes us more and more like Christ.
Paul writes, we've been buried with Christ through baptism into death. In order that as Christ was raised, so we too would be raised to newness of life. Baptism isn't just a thing of the past. It's a covenant we're still living in by faith. And the Holy Spirit is still continuing to renew us each and every day. We are still justified by His grace and by His grace alone. Forgiven of sin by the work of Christ and by Christ alone. And heirs according to the hope of eternal life by God alone. We have been justified by His grace cleansed and forgiven of all our sins, and given the Holy Spirit who again continues to renew us daily and made heirs of eternal life. And this is ours by faith in baptism. Your baptism is a day to remember. A day not to remember is something that just happened, but a day to continue to live in the freedom that God has first brought to you in the waters of regeneration. This morning, remember what you were before you were saved. A poor and miserable sinner, deceived and enslaved by lusts and pleasures, full of hate and hating one another. Remember that it was no good deed that we have done that God has saved us, but it's only by his love and mercy and his kindness that God provided a new way of life for us, to free us from the bondage of sin, to free us from a meaningless existence as we looked at in Sunday school class. And remember the work that God began in you through your baptism and continue to be renewed daily by the Holy Spirit through repentance and faith again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for being a God who was moved by your mercy, by your love, by your kindness, and allowed Jesus Christ to appear to save us. Jesus, thank you for coming to die on the cross for our sins and raising again to newness of life to bring us life. And Holy Spirit, we do thank you and praise you for convincing us of the work of Christ, convincing us of God's word and creating faith in us. Help us, Lord, to remember what we were before you. Help us not to judge those around us, but to have mercy and compassion on them and to share with them the hope that we have found in and through you alone. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember Jesus when we continue to fall astray or to walk astray to continue to turn to the desires of our hearts. Forgive us of these sins, Lord. Remind us again that your work is complete and you offer us forgiveness. Renew us again, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.